Good morning and welcome to the first ever Witch 50 podcast. My name is Andrew Birmingham. I am the Editor-in-Chief. Uh, today we are looking at the issue of brand safety. So the good news is that your advertising has been appearing on neo-Nazi websites and the really good news is that your affiliate dollars have been funding those same sites. What do you do? Who is responsible? And what happens next? Today we are joined in the studio by Ben Sharp, who is the Vice President and Managing Director of AdRoll in Asia-Pacific, Imran Masood, who is the Country Manager for Seismic, Leah Daly, who is the founder of Cherry Media, and James Diamond, who is the Managing Director for Interpol Ad Science in Australia and New Zealand. Before I go to the panel, I want to have a chat to uh, Jodie Sangster, who is the CEO of Adver in Australia. Our podcasts are part of the Adver Brightest Mind series, where we bring together the marketing, media, and advertising and analytics leaders in the country. Uh, we asked Jodie who is responsible ultimately for the issue of brand safety. So ultimately, the issue of brand safety sits with the brand and the brand manager. I mean, it's their brand, they're, they're responsible for it, and they've got to take every reasonable step that they can to make sure that their their advertising is appearing in a place that's appropriate and, and uh, acceptable in, in, in the context of their brand. So ultimately, it does sit with them. That said, I mean, you have to have trusted relationships in marketing um, because it's not possible for one person to do everything, and that's why you have a trusted agency partner. So there does need to be a clear... Um, uh, there does need to be the ability for a brand manager to have their trusted agency partner and have such a relationship with them that they understand that the agency is taking on that part of the responsibility for them um, and that there are guidelines in place as to how their advertising is going to be managed and where it's going to appear and how they're going to, 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 to do that. So that is important and I don't think we can get away from, from that relationship. But the brand manager can't step back at that point and say, well, that's now just over to them and I'm not going to check in because they should be checking in on a very regular basis um, as to where their ads are appearing, what's happening with their advertising, has there been any feedback on it, et cetera, et cetera. So asking the right questions of their agencies so that they are keeping a check on what's happening and not just handing it over kind of carte blanche. Uh, with regard to handing it over to the machine, um, look, I think this is where we've seen a number of problems recently. And this was always going to be the case. I think as new technologies emerge, you know, it takes a little while for them to, to or for, for us to understand their what they're good at, what the limitations are, and then and kind of improve them for, for future. So I think there was always going to be a challenge here that this was going to happen. For the uh, Witch 15 Advo podcast today, we're looking at the uh, issue of brand safety and some of the wider issues around programmatic. Uh, my name is Andrew Birmingham, and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Witch 50. Joining me today, I've got Ben Sharp from AdRoll, James Diamond from Integral Ad Science, Imran Masood from uh, Seismic, and Leah Daly from Cherry Media Group. So thank you all for coming. Thank you. Thank you. In uh, recent weeks, we've seen some really interesting reporting uh, around some of the issues that uh, Google has faced on YouTube uh, around the issue of brand safety, and in particular, the problem with um, brands finding their ads turning up on uh, on websites and in environments where they probably didn't want them to, to be, uh, and not just the fact that the, the brand is turning up there, but in fact their affiliate marketing dollars are actually going in to fund some of these sites. Uh, it's been a pretty serious issue for the Google folk. Uh, the kind of figure that's in the market at the moment is that Google could be could stand to lose up to $750 million in, uh, in ad revenue as a result. Personally, I don't believe it. I think most of it will come back, but I think it's a pretty painful problem. And it's clear from talking to the local people that, in fact, they are actually getting quite a shell allocating uh, over it at the moment. But it does raise a really interesting issue for me, which is you know, how much responsibility do the brands themselves carry uh, to ensure brand safety in a, in a programmatic environment? Uh, and what can reasonably can they reasonably expect their agencies to manage 
uh, and for the machines to manage. And that's going to lead into the wider question of um, have we let programmatic get away from us. But Ben, I might just start with you because we were chatting about this before. That question of you know, where does responsibility lie? Maybe you can kick us off with that. Sure. Um, you mentioned before that uh, responsibility could lie with the marketer, mm-hmm. um, which as a tech platform, I would love to absolve mm-hmm. ourselves of responsibility, um, but that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Now, I do think that marketers need to have a high degree of responsibility for where they decide to place their media. And if brands decide to go with the cheapest possible source of media, then they're probably going to receive crap uh, placement of ads. Mm -hmm. So... That you know, brand owners need to be responsible for where they where they place their ads. But equally so, if they go and work with a supplier that's then sold them on the benefits mm-hmm. and safeguards that they've got in place, and that supplier, through a combination of factors that is inherent in the world of programmatic advertising, uh, programmatic advertising means that those ads have appeared in unsavoury places. Then the responsibility then starts to shift to uh, to, to the supplier platform. Now, I think many of us, in fact, probably all of us who are reputable vendors in the technology space have lots of safeguards in place to ensure that we don't serve ads in um, in unsafe environments and we use third-party verification tools such mm. as integral ad science to, um, to avoid that from happening. So there's got to be multiple layers of, mm. of control. And I think that they, they, they you know, they, there's definitely responsibility on the brand owner equally with the, you know, with the supplier that they happen to be working with at that time. If I, if I build on um, Sharpie's point there, I think the key thing is there's, there's technology solutions that are available. I think the brand needs to take responsibility for ensuring that those solutions are in place. Because increasingly what we see is whilst the technology is available, the adoption rate is sometimes low. Um, some, some agencies have almost no... Uh, clients running brand safety solutions at all, whereas you know others have it deployed across the majority of their campaigns. So I think that you know some of these brands are worth upwards of $10, $10 billion in brand value, and they're putting that against content that can be, one, really damaging for that brand, uh, and two, it just doesn't perform well. It mm. doesn't put people in the right frame of mind to connect with that brand. But that's a fixable problem. The ads can be blocked. It just needs better adoption across the industry. So. Um, I, I think this opens a point around education, um, which is critical. And we've spoken about education a lot at the IAB, which is to basically say, how can you pass responsibility on to an agency or a brand owner if they actually don't know the issues or how to solve for some of those issues as well? Education is critical because you know unless you can go to you know a senior marketer and say, hey. Programmatic, it's an awesome way of advertising to lots of people at scale, you know, leveraging first-party data. But here's the risk factors that you need to take into consideration, um, and these are the ways to try and solve for that. So, you know, all of us in this room and all of us in the industry need to take, you know, responsibility for education, as well as, you know, platforms like, you know, industry groups like ADMA definitely need to, and they've done a really good job at, um, you know, at, uh, you know, driving that awareness and education. I think you're spot on, Ben. I think from an agency point of view, we need to actually, we're at the cold face of the client and the publisher, the programmatic publisher. So we need to ask those questions on behalf of our client. So it is, you know, I think it's twofold. I think it's the publisher responsibility and the agency responsibility. We need to have that conversation and the clients don't really know what questions to ask. So we have to ask them on, on their behalf. I mean, ultimately though, look, if you're a brand manager and your ad turns up 
you know, your ad turns up on a neo-Nazi website and your affiliate dollars go into funding that site, assuming that's inconsistent with your brand values, can you really palm off the responsibility for that final placement you know, to the agency? Ultimately, don't you as the brand manager own the brand and own everything that goes on with the brand? Um, well, I think it's the responsibility of both the agency and the, the brand manager. Um, but, I mean, if you look at, you know, um, the state of the industry right now not being, um, t- to, to, I suppose, prove the point that it, it can be quite overwhelming. There's over 2 million websites currently in the industry mm. that you can that can be ad-funded. Yeah. Right. So in that space for an advertiser to try and understand that and identify um, what the right media is to purchase, this is the value of programmatic mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is that we can access that scale. We can overlay different technologies that can identify safe environments, uh, viewable environments, um, uh, track against fraud, etc. And, mm-hmm. and make a decision on the right space to invest. Um, Oh, I've just forgotten my train of thought, so we might have to go again and post-production. The other thing I wanted to add to that, and, you know, we spoke about, um, you know, who has responsibility, and we've spoken about the marketer, we've spoken about maybe the agency, um, and in part the tech platform, but the core destination for every single ad is some kind of publishing platform, mm-hmm. whether that's a social platform or a, you know, high-quality, you know, style of, uh, style, you know, style of publishing platform. I feel like I can talk to this having owned a publishing business previously and you know I, I can safely say that you know when we monitored content on our you know on, on our websites I owned Gizmodo as you know one of the sites that um, that, that I owned in Australia we had a we had a, an episode about eight or nine years ago where there was absolutely terrible content that appeared on Gizmodo it was pushed on there by Gizmodo in the US and a Telstra ad appeared on this uh, on this page. Now we saw this very quickly. <coughs> Unfortunately, the agency saw this as well. Um, but we reacted very very quickly in that we removed the content straight away. Um, we apologised and explained how this happened. Um, you couldn't hide behind the fact that you know this content had appeared or that an, an ad had appeared on this content. And then we started to put safeguards in place to ensure that we did not publish this type of content again. So I think, you know, when you look at, you know, publish, you know publishing platforms, um, the site owner equally needs to take some kind of responsibility for um, the content that they're, they're displaying. And there is a bunch of content out there that it's non-negotiable. It should not appear online. Um, and if it does, and, you know, there are so many ways in which, you know, content can appear online, but there needs to be the right safeguards in place so that, you know, whether it's terrorism-related, neo-Nazi, um, you know, other forms of content, like this stuff, there should never be ads against it. Okay. I, I think um, I agree with a lot of what Ben said there. Some of the content is very black and white. People don't want to advertise on it. Some of it's grey. So if you take, for example, a story about alcohol that could be the top ten pubs in Sydney... That might be a really good place for, you know, a beer brand to appear, but maybe not a good place for Disney to appear. Or maybe the state government don't drink and drive campaign might not want to be against content promoting the consumption of alcohol, as an example. So there's some really clear-cut cases. You know, terrorism is, is often a good example. Um, but you get, you get into some things, for example, um, sexual health. Some clients won't want to be against it. Then you'll have others that actually that's exactly the type of content that they want to be, they want to be next to. Yep. 
But that's a really good point because that's where programmatic has such control. And we were sort of talking about this over email, Andrew, and I was sort of saying, look, I'm a big fan of programmatic. So, you know, when we do this podcast, you've got to know that because I'm not really going to say much negative about it. And my background is traditional media. So I'd like to talk about that in, in a minute. But just to address that, we actually have such control that, you know, that we can, we can exclude things like topic exclusions and site um, category exclusions as well, mm. you know, to maintain that client's um, brand equity, if, if, you, if you like to call it that. Imran, what do you think in relation to that from an overall perspective? Uh, from a seismic perspective. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> the, um, I kind of think that uh, prevention is better than cure um, and a lot of the the space that we've um, the investment's been in around verification viewability brand safety has been in the post the post buy space so I do I do feel it's a really great opportunity for um, marketers to look at pre-bid solutions and actually um, prevent the purchase of those impressions as opposed to reporting on it and then act, acting later. So I think from the types of uh, targeting that you, you discussed the, um, in, in the set of campaigns, um, pre-bid is actually um, is, is the perfect starting ground um, to address that space. Mm. I, I certainly agree pre-bid's really useful in stripping out some really bad content. The challenge with pre-bid is that it generally uses the URL as the mechanism by which to attribute scores, be they categories or information about content. So in the auction, you see a particular URL and you get all these scores for brand safety or viewability. But increasingly, what happens is people spoof or mask those, those URLs. So often we'll see premium publishers, instead of seeing the full URL, um, you know, news article slash terrorism, you, what you just get is you know, news exchange or Fairfax exchange or Yahoo exchange or some, mm -hmm. some sort of masked inventory and so then it becomes impossible pre-bid to understand exactly where that ad is going to go and that's where post-bid blocking solution is I would argue equally as important. I think, I think they, sorry for, I think working in tandem, yep. um, it's, it's, I agree. It, it's yeah. actually um, it's a space that advertisers and agencies should be working to understand um, the mix, the right mix because I, I agree with you as well. Yeah. I guess the question I've got there right is um, we can put lots of control in place to try and strip out a lot of completely unacceptable content. But coming back to what you said, James, which is different advertisers have a subjective, you know, there's a lot of subjectivity brand around. Specific. Yeah, that, that's right, because, you know, you might have, you know, a car brand that has a really youthful, um, you know, audience or, or focus, and they're prepared to go against really edgy content, but then you might look at another bank which would turn around and say, mm -hmm. you know what, anything in there I am not prepared to, to go against. And then if you look at, um, you know, a news site or, or a site with very dynamic content, um, how does um, you know? How can you strip out some of that content when it's evolving and changing? You know, every minute of every day, because that that it, that's when it becomes really difficult. So I'm just gonna, yeah, there's a really good example, a very recent example, which you may be familiar with, which is the problems that United Airlines have had when they dragged one of their passengers off a, a plane mm. recently. It was like all over social media, and the story gets worse and worse for them. 
Is the technology at the stage now where United can say, God, whatever you do, don't serve an ad against any one of those stories anywhere in the world? Or is that just something they have to live with? I think they could... The easiest thing for them to do is just to turn off ads for 24 hours. Um, But if they want to try and avoid particular content areas, they should be able to work with a platform that can say, we don't want to go in general news or we don't want to go in news which has an airline tag. But then there's always going to be masked sites and a whole range of other things that are going to reference that content it's, it's impossible to avoid avoid a lot of that i think it is impossible yeah and ben would you say that you know you've got to look at the pros and cons for each brand and that's a really good example but if you know turning it off for 24 hours um is that really going to solve the problem it's not and it really never is mm. because you've got to look at it at the point that um as you brought up imran it's all about scale so we're always going to have that problem but i think you know, with your two million websites and with, you know, trying to get that scale and the pros being the amazing tar- targeting capabilities of a programmatic, brands are never going to, you know, what, what do they want? Do they want the scale and the targeting capabilities and that, you know, that less than probably half a percent risk when they, they begin and finish a programmatic campaign? Yeah. I mean, what would be the stats, you know, in a brand like, like that? having those sort of problems. Well, if they turn their advertising off for 24 hours, you would typically think that they, because of their scale, they would have an immediate drop in sales. They would know how many sales that they would be driving every single day, how many of those are incremental, irrespective of whether they are advertising or not, but what what do they miss out on now? It could be a really interesting (laughs) test case for someone like United because they're so so massive. But then the other thing I would love to be able to say to marketers, um, have courage in the world of programmatic advertising and be aware that, you know what, um, it's still a rapidly changing and evolving industry. Mm-hmm. There are so many benefits, and, but what comes with a rapidly growing and changing industry is a, an element of risk. Now, I think all of us in this room and all of us in this industry um, are taking really significant steps to try and mitigate that risk. But it falls through the cracks, and you know, unfortunately, like the Google example uh, examples over the past two and three weeks, you know, there's been some terrible, you know, uh, there's been some terrible content that ads have appeared on. At the end of the day, the scale, the number of times that ads have appeared on that content, is really, really small. I think the stat on the Ida Butrose content, it was like there was one or two ads that appeared on that, Mm. um, you know, on that content, and it just so happened that you know a journal or someone saw it and took a screen grab. So, you know, it doesn't mean that it's acceptable, mm-hmm. but we're talking about a very, very small scale of, you know, a, a, of usage here. Okay, oh. so do what you said, just to move on to the, the next point, which is I want to look at, uh, have the experiences of the last few weeks, have they exposed um, a structural weakness of where programmatics arrived? And I, I take your point, we're, not, we're never going back to a pre-programmatic world and we probably never want to go back to that world. But are we arriving at a stage where almost the, the, the technology's almost got too far ahead of us, that it's got beyond what we're able to manage at the moment? Not at all. I think, um, you know, I, I think the technology in programmatic advertising is delivering scale. There is demand from advertisers to be able to run highly effective marketing campaigns. Mm-hmm. There's a shift of investment into, mm-hmm. you know, further into ad tech and martech. Mm-hmm. Um, and <coughs> as a result, um, you've got platforms and supply sources continuing to evolve their, their product. Um, so the technology has not got away from, from marketers, but I think coming back to something that we mentioned earlier, the education is not keeping up in many cases with where the technology can, can go. So what are the stats, for instance, so when I was doing research in this topic, 
there was a stat out of the US where by 2025, the amount of ad fraud in the world will be $50 billion. It'll be the second largest criminal enterprise in the world. Unless thing, it, it probably won't be because things will change. Yeah. But what is it? To me, that does suggest that we have a pretty significant issue. Uh, and it's the point that you're making that this is largely an education issue. It's about the capacity of the brands to actually utilise the technology that they've got. Is that, is that the point that you're making? I, listen, I, I think so. I, I, I would question very closely whether um, ad fraud becomes such a big industry. And I think you referenced that in your, in your opening. Yep. But listen, if you look at you know digital advertising and the world of the internet, if we'd rewind 20-odd years... What was it built on? It was built on porn and gambling, two really edgy um, uh, industries. Now, gambling is a highly regulated um, industry, and it does advertise online, and they benefit very much mm-hmm. so from, um, you know, from advertising online and also what they can place in terms of content. Um, porn as well is, you know, is another area. It's at the extreme edge of what is acceptable or unacceptable as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now I think if you rewind twenty years and you had that, you know, started to have that conversation, you'd freak a whole bunch of people out. Um, but you know, the reality of you know where um, you know things have gone is that you know there is so much control on a bunch of these industries, um, and I think it'll be the same when it comes to, uh, to to you know brand fraud. You know, as there's going to be further safeguards, you know, built. You know, probably next in the next week, next month, next year. I think all these problems are fixable problems. So on, yep. on the brand safety front. Um, and uh, the airline example you gave, I feel like that's a solvable problem, that if they have brand safety solutions deployed, they don't need to pull campaigns. I, like, I acknowledge that that sometimes may be necessary, but 24 hours later, that campaign goes live and that page is still there. And so what they really need is a solution that can always block ads from inappropriate pages, either because it's a bad category from a violence or adult content perspective or because there's words on there that indicate that this is about that particular brand and you know they don't want to be associated with that content just don and i think that's where we miss the scale though if we're going to drop say your news publishers say your news digital your fairfax digital that are that are publishing usually you know up there with the first publishers in australia to publish those news stories and we're taking away that 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 ad exchange from from that client's programmatic um repertoire yeah then that's going to have an effect on its scale. I think if you take a domain out, it does. But most, I, w- I would argue that the good brand safety solutions are at a page level. So you might have, you mentioned Fairfax, you might have a Fairfax story that is violent. We would never advocate pulling Fairfax. We're just saying that particular page, that particular URL, that might not be appropriate for this particular brand. Mm-hmm. So just block that page. And that's one of the challenges we've had in the past with blacklists and whitelists, is that they're at a domain level. And what we really need for brand safety is something that's at a page level so I can continue to run across that whole domain. I don't get my scale impacted, but I still get the protection I need. And I think there's solutions in the market for that. Um, it's just about the education, the broader education across the industry. There's, there's very, very granular elements of targeting capabilities um, when you go into a, a page level. Um, and there's also, um, I think, one thing that we've we kind of moved away from is the original question, which is, uh, is this going to create you know fifty billion dollars in in fraudulent tra- investment in in the industry? And the reason why we're having this conversation right now is, bec- is because it's one of the big behemoths in the market that have made a big mess up, right? Um, and they haven't had a, a solution or a resolution 
to appease their investors or their, their advertisers on the network or on their platform. And, and, and then, so the que- then the question is, you know, should Google in the, this particular case be the platform that not only sells and serves ads, is integrated onto so many sites for reporting purposes, yeah. but also does their own brand safety yeah. measures as well. And I think you know you can't have you can't have the same person being you know the judge and policeman no. at the, at and, the and same time. Sorry, I was going to say they've come out and said that they will allow independent yeah. third parties to, to do some verification for Google. Yeah, uh, and, and that's correct. And it's limited right now, but I think it's um, it's been called for for a long time within their ecosystem mm-hmm. and. Absolutely, I think third party or independent um, measurement is, is a must for, for marketers. Um, you know, you you don't have. Um, I wouldn't give my um, my, uh, my my paper to myself to mark. Why you don't mark your own homework? Um, I don't see how you can allow the media owner then to grade. And the results and the effectiveness of their so own platform. Just one point that if you look at the the stats that came out of the US in Q one last year, I think, or maybe it was this year. Basically, the the uh, the argument is that Google and Facebook are taking ninety percent of the new dollars that are coming into the market. Okay. Mm. So the question is, at what point does their market? Yes, they can allow three people to come and independently verify the what's going on. But do they have sufficient market power to say to those three providers, well, you can measure this, but you can't measure this, we'll agree to a point? Like, is there a point at which these guys now have too much market power, and how do you solve a problem like that? Well, I think it comes back to then brand power, right? Like, what yep. we've seen over the last couple of weeks is the P&Gs of the world, the Vodafones of the world, etc., the agencies of the world saying, you need to get your backyard in, sh- in order, you need to open it up, for, me- for a third party measurement um, because there is a massive trust issue here, right? And um, once you break the trust, it takes a long time to rebuild that. And, um, you know, I think in the businesses we all work in, um, a lot of what we do being third parties is about building independent um, measurement and trust with customers. So um, for, for, for the Google business and I think for Facebook, you know, both have had negative press over the last probably six to eight months. Um, it's about the brands making a stance um, and the rest of the industry helping educate them on how we can do things better. Okay. Haven't the brands or agencies in some cases been at fault here because they've gone into commercial deals with Google. Yep. Google have incentivized them to spend the most amount of money with them across a whole range of products. So Google say, come and buy ads from us, buy Google 360, we're going to give you full analytics reporting. Don't worry, we're going to make sure that we, you know, have brand safety baked into our product and here's the other elements of our, you know, suite of products that we want you to buy from. So a brand or an agency is financially incentivized to invest as much as possible with Google and Google exclusively, um, which then limits transparency and maybe, you know, control and third party verification across uh, across the platform. Google hasn't, up until this point in the past three weeks, actually had a large range of advertisers and maybe agencies turn around and say, hey, we're actually really concerned about you guys, you know? And, and I think, it, you know, the knee-jerk reaction in the past couple of weeks, I think it's a good thing because if it prompts change um, for Google, then, then that's great. Now, I have no issue with Google and Facebook attracting a large proportion of spend if they've got a great product for as a destination for media dollars. Now, this stat of 90%, that is not saying that the Google sales team or Facebook sales team is out there speaking to clients 
and 90% of the dollars that they invest are just going to those two platforms. They're, they're landing in Google and Facebook through a range of third parties and that type of stuff. And that, that's the environment that we, that we all work in. Um, but you know, we invest on, we all spend money on Google and Facebook because they are good products. They just need to be you know, controlled and reported mm. on in, in an acceptable way. I just want to extend the conversation a bit beyond Google now, but yeah. really looking at the same sort of issue, which is beyond the technology, are there structural issues with the way agencies, publishers, and brands work together that create these problems? So take, for instance, a, an agency that does a deal with a large publisher and says, I'll give you three years' worth of money. Uh, I'll, I'll basically I'll do a three-year deal with you for this amount of money, but I need a very large, very great reduction on the rate. And the publisher goes, well, that's great. I've got some guaranteed income, but you know what? I think I'll just go and sell some of this stuff off network. And it gets further and further away from the point of sale. Does, does anyone sort of see that as, a, as an issue that you know is causing drama in the market? Oh, not, not particularly, um, because it's up to the publisher to decide how much inventory they're prepared to commit to a deal like that. Mm-hmm. I, I can talk to this having done and negotiated deals like this in the past, you know, in, in a previous publishing business yeah. that, that I own at Lua Media. And I remember going off to very large agency group in Sydney. Um, they came to us and they said, you know, at the time, we'll invest a million dollars with you this year. Um, and we thought, thumbs up, this is awesome. And then the discussion got into how many ads that we would need to commit um, for that period. And when we did the maths, the amount of inventory that the agency were demanding for that $1 million exceeded the total <laughs> amount of inventory that we had available over 12 months, yeah. like three times over. So even though we could have got a million bucks in one deal, it actually would have cost us, I, don't know, I can't remember the numbers, 10 million bucks in lost revenue opportunity. Yeah. Do you think that then some publishers who might really want that, that million dollar deal go and create a whole lot of inventory, bottom of the page, completely out of view, maybe even buy some traffic in order to, to get the volume up there? Do you think that happens? Um, it does happen. It can happen. I think there's many examples of that uh, happening in the past. Um, and, you know, I sat on, uh, you know, a, a, an industry board years ago where we spoke about automatic refresh of pages, um, ads appearing below the fold, you know, yeah. should you count them and, uh, and that type of thing. Now, six years ago, six, seven years ago, you actually couldn't measure any of this stuff. It was basically, if, it, if a page auto-refreshed, why did it auto-refresh? The publisher was basically saying, because we've got dynamic content that now needs to, to update. You can build a page in Ajax now, so you didn't need to refresh the whole page and refresh the ad. You can just refresh uh, part of the content. So... Um, if people are daisy chaining the, you know, the, their ads, which is kind of what you're talking about, it's absolutely it, it, that's fraud. I think until this this scandal with Google, you know, the last three weeks, I think viewability um, in the last probably two years has been more of a, a big discussion with brands than than brand safety. To be honest, mm-hmm. brand safety for us as an agency was five six years ago. Um, not that it doesn't come up, but it's been more the viewability issue. And I think, you know, to address your point about, you know, the inventory being served down and the publishers, you know, they, they talk about how even programmatic started out as remnant inventory. And it's so much more than that now, isn't it? It's, um, and I don't think it would do the publishers any favour to do that because they would start gradually getting a bad reputation and losing market share with the programmatic publishers, which make up a big portion of their revenue. I don't know how much, but... Um, I think, to that point, you know, that's why we have industry bodies that um, we, we regulate off and we build standards off. So part of some of our business, our business, you know, works very closely with the IAB 
um, and we 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 measure and track and report on um, number of ads within a page, and um, we look at um, the standards to allow us to to give accurate accurate industry level reporting, um, and so that kind of a, I think th this space is probably something six or seven years ago. Mm. I think we're past that space now in terms of um, is it ad fraud that there's auto refresh pages or is it is it fraudulent actually for a publisher to report on an ad that's been called but not been rendered and actually delivered that's probably a different question right and that's probably where we are right now is um, and, and that's from all reputable publishers like what are they how are they counting that ad that's being served mm. is it that um, you know because the standard right now is that it needs to be re it needs to be rendered and on screen whereas um, it has in the past being just reported that an impression's been served if the ad's been called. Mm. So I think Google lost their metric. MIC accreditation for that exact reason yeah. only only a few months ago um, because they, it didn't actually require the ad to be downloaded to count as viewable. So I think it's in the in the detail that um, things like viewability, brand safety, and fraud need to be looked at. At a high level, mm. I think everyone's trying to move things in the right direction, but there's still a lot of black boxes out there where part of the agreement with... Um, the media partner is that you don't get rights of audit over where your ads are being served. Well, guys, thank you very much. That was a very uh, entertaining conversation. I'd like you to thank uh, Ben, James, Imran, and um, Leah uh, for coming in today. Thanks, guys. And that's where we end today's podcast. I'd like to thank all the participants for contributing today. We'll be back next week with the same panel where we'll be looking at the issue of viewability, which uh, has provoked quite a lot of debate in the Australian marketplace. We look forward to, uh, to talking to you then. See you then.